everybody. Uh, really excited to be with everybody on all of our campuses today. Uh, those of you who are uh, coming in on the live stream, man, we're glad to have you with us as well. We're in kind of a verse-by-verse study of a letter called 1 Thessalonians that Paul wrote to some new believers in northern Greece, and we're calling this series Endgame because he talks a lot about the end times, about the return of the Lord Jesus, and so we're just going to dig in and talk about that. How many of y'all got your Bible with you? Let me see who brought one with you. Come on. The rest of y'all going to take my word for it. Oh, yeah? Is that how it is? Not recommended. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's what we're going to get cranking up here today, or chapter 4, I should say. Chapter 4, verse 13. This is one of the most famous passages in the Bible about the return of Jesus. Now, last week, uh, Sarah and I took uh, care of our four grandchildren uh, while, our, uh, while their parents were involved in some kind of beach therapeutic uh, something like that. I don't know what it was. Uh, but anyway, man, we had these uh, little wild guys with us, and it was amazing, and it was fun, and it was some other stuff too. But anyway, one of the funnest parts of it was watching one of my grandkids learn how to do a flip off the diving board at the pool for the first time. And I don't know if you really remember what it was like to try to master that move, uh, but that can be kind of a scary thing. So usually when you're trying to, you know, talk yourself into it, you know, there's a lot of coaching, but there's a lot of false starts and stops and hesitation and running into the board and bailing out, you know, because you just don't know how this thing's going to end, right? But once you hit it, I mean, once you understand how it works and you hit it a few times, all that anxiety and fear gets replaced by confidence, and then it's just fun, fun all the time after that. In fact, you can't wait to teach somebody else. Now, friends, the study of what biblical writers said about the end times is kind of like that. It's a source of confidence for followers of Jesus. Now, our world literally is filled with what looks like just scary stuff. And consequently, you know, lots of people go through life biting their nails and medicating themselves because they're wondering how bad is it going to get and how bad we're going to get hurt. Even, are we even going to survive this thing? But I'm telling you, a knowledge of God's plan for the future helps eliminate some of that anxiety. And I think it builds a sense of courage and confidence in us. And that is what Paul is going to try to do for his new Christian friends in Thessalonica in this letter. So let's look at verse 13 and we'll just dig in. Paul says in verse 13, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, sleep in this verse is a Hebraic euphemism for death. Man, Paul is using sleep to describe people who have died, and he's doing this so his friends will be informed. He wants his friends informed about what happens when a follower of Jesus died. Everybody say, be informed. He wants everybody to know, apparently. There was some confusion in Thessalonica about followers of Jesus who had passed away, which is another euphemism for death, because somehow they got the mistaken idea that Jesus was going to return before anybody died, and they were just misinformed about that. So, you know, they were so new in their faith that they feared that their friends who had died before the return of the Lord might actually be left out of something. And so Paul says, man, I don't want any of you to be burdened with an unhealthy grief about believers who have fallen asleep in Christ. Grief is a healthy thing when there's been a death. Man, when you love much, you grieve much, Jesus grieved, it's a healthy thing to grieve. Can I get an amen? amen? But there is also an unhealthy, hopeless grief that no follower of Jesus should ever endure because, friends, death is not the end of existence for anybody whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. Now, maybe that's why the Bible frequently uses sleep, you know, as a metaphor or a euphemism to describe people who have died. You know, in John chapter 11, 
when people told Jesus his good friend Lazarus had been in the grave for four days, Jesus told them, oh, don't worry about it, he's just asleep. Now, he was dead. He was physically dead, and Jesus knew that. But Jesus also knew he intended to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so this is just a, a euphemistic way of saying, look, death is not anybody's end. Bro, when you die, immediately you are ushered into eternal life. Now, uh, also referring to death as sleep does not mean that we are unconscious in the afterlife. You know, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of a rich man and a poor man who both die on the same day. One goes to heaven, one goes to hell. Both of them are very much alert and aware of where they are and what's going on and each other after they die. So these new believers are struggling with some confusion about all this. And Paul writes this section of this letter to inform these believers about the details of their last days, whether they die before Jesus returns or whether they live until Jesus uh, returns, he wants them to be informed. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I know and Paul knows that this whole uh, resurrection afterlife thing is a lot to believe. What made it easier for them was that they were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, Paul saw Jesus after he had been killed, buried, and rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead three days after being killed and buried. He later was seen and touched by thousands of eyewitnesses. Many of those eyewitnesses, writers of the New Testament, were tortured to death by persecutors because of their eyewitness accounts of being with Jesus after he rose from the dead. And listen, the Apostle Paul is going to be one of those guys. Now for us today, who are not eyewitnesses, this is all a matter of faith for us. And I think we should at least admit that whatever you believe about the afterlife, whatever you believe about what happens after you die, that's a matter of faith. Even if you're an atheist, you, you, you believe that on faith. Now, friends, uh, when you, what you believe about the afterlife is faith, either faith in human speculation or it's faith in divine revelation. Now, followers of Jesus base their faith on the words of Jesus, the eyewitness accounts of people who saw him after the resurrection. Jesus died. He experienced life after death. He came back and told us what it was like, told us how it works. That is divine revelation. Human speculation, on the other hand, would be, I don't know anybody who's ever come back from the dead. And I don't think anybody does come back from the dead. I don't think I'm going to come back from the dead. So based on my observations, I just don't think that's possible. So I reject the idea of the afterlife. I reject the resurrection. I reject heaven, hell, all of it. Fine. Fine. You are free to believe whatever you want to believe. But your position is an unverifiable human speculation. That dismissal of the afterlife is not based on any empirical evidence. In fact, it ignores the empirical evidence of Jesus' life. That position is logically unprovable. And let me tell you, that's how a lot of people deal with the afterlife. They just go, I just don't believe it. Now, Paul did believe it because he had an encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. And then he told his buddies in Thessalonica, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died, those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be grieving as if there's no hope because lots and lots and lots of people do. I have a friend named Kerry Livgren. I don't know if you know Kerry. Uh, he wrote most of the music uh, for the rock group Kansas way back in the day. One of his most popular songs is about people who have a hopeless view of life. Kerry wrote it because he had a hopeless view of life before he became a follower of Jesus. Does anybody know what song I'm thinking about? Come up here and sing it for us, Mark. <laughs> dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind, right? No hope, 
There's nothing better on the horizon, nothing better on the other side of the grave. People live, people die, poof, your little candle goes out, you're dead like a dog, done. The Apostle Paul would say, that's a fairy tale. That is a fairy tale based on an unprovable, illogical human speculation that ignores the evidence of the historic resurrection of Jesus. Bro, don't buy it, ain't true. I remember back in the day, Billy Graham was on a late night talk show with Johnny Carson. How many of y'all know who Johnny Carson is? All the old people raising their hands right now. That's right. You old. If you know who Johnny Carson is, you're old, all right? But you know what Carson, Carson said, um, or you're a history major, a, a film history major at SCAD. You could be that, all right? Johnny Carson told Dr. Graham, he said, Dr. Graham, you know, I bet if Jesus came back to earth in our day, I bet we'd do it to him again. And Billy Graham leaned forward in his chair and said, Johnny, Jesus is going to return someday and nobody is going to do it to him this time. The first time he came in humility, the next time he will come in power. The first time he came to save, the next time he will come to judge. Now, can a believer really believe that? I mean, can thinking people actually believe that after 2,000 years, Jesus is going to return and bring history to a climactic conclusion? Well, I'll tell you, the Apostle Paul did. Billions of believers have ever since. In verse 14, Paul says, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus died and rose again. Now, friends, the return of Christ is no more difficult to believe in than the resurrection of Christ. In fact, if you believe the first verse in the Bible, you shouldn't have any trouble believing anything else. I mean, the first verse in the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you may not believe that. But let me tell you, that explanation for the genesis of our creation is just as rational as any other explanation and more than most. But if you do believe it, and I certainly do, then we have a God who is so powerful that he could produce this universe out of nothing, simply out of his own divine, infinite creativity. And if he can pull that off, bro, any other miracle after that is a piece of cake. Amen? Amen. So Paul intends to inform these Thessalonians and us about how the end game is going to actually play out. In verse 14 he says, We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Man, when Jesus returns, he is going to bring with him all of the believers who have already died. Apparently, they are all with him right now. We'll get back to that in a minute. But Paul says there will be three audible, attention-grabbing, undeniable events, sounds that will announce the arrival of Jesus when he returns. First of all, there will be a loud command. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. Man, when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11, an eyewitness wrote about it. You know, he's Jesus' best friend. He said, Jesus said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And man, Lazarus rose from the dead at the loud command of Jesus. Some theologians have suggested that if Jesus had not specifically said, Lazarus, come forth, every dead person in that cemetery would have come back to life. And let me tell you, when Jesus returns, he will do the same thing. And just like Lazarus, everybody will obey him. You know, in John chapter 5, Jesus actually says, Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The second audible that he's going to call on that day is the voice of the archangel. It says uh, the voice, uh, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel. Now, there are only two angels that are mentioned by name in the Bible. One is Gabriel, and he's God's messenger. 
He's the mailman that went to Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of them back when Jesus was born at the Christmas story. Awesome. He's the bearer of good news. And then there is the archangel, Michael. And Michael is a bad man. <laughs> I'm just saying he is the warrior that God dispatches in an answer to the prayers of his people to battle the demonic when the demonic is trying to impede the purposes of God or frustrate the people of God. Now, only Michael is called an archangel in the Bible, and he is going to make an announcement to the entire world when the Lord Jesus returns. And apparently, God is not going to send the mailman to make that announcement. He's going to send the warrior. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at an event where somebody really important shows up, and then usually the person in that group with the most juice, you know, the most credibility, man, they prepare in advance to do a great job Introducing that important person, you've heard this a hundred times, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, right? And the Prime Minister of England, or the Pastor, of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, know, I mean, just, you, know how, you know how it works, right? Now, we don't know exactly how Michael's going to do it because we don't have the details. But you know, you kind of wonder if on the day that Jesus returns for his church, if everybody on the planet is going to see the fiercest, most amazing person any of us have ever seen, the archangel of God, who will suddenly appear on every screen, every tablet, every phone, every news channel around the world, and the whole world will see at the same time and hear a voice like thunder say something like, ladies and gentlemen, the king of kings and the Lord of lords is here. But that's not all that's going to happen. Paul says there will be a trumpet call of God. It says in verse 16, with the trumpet call of God, you know, the, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Friends, Paul learned about this from Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you remember in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said that he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect. Those who have chosen to put their faith in Jesus have been elected by God. He will gather them from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And let me tell you, there wouldn't be anything strange about this to the Jewish converts in Thessalonica because that kind of summons was part of their history. Now, this is called a shofar. Uh, this is a uh, trumpet that's made out of the horn of some kind of really remarkable animal, all right? Uh, but back in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were liberated from Egyptian slavery, man, they were trekking through the wilderness toward the promised land. And every time Moses needed to get everybody together, you know, so he could make an announcement of some kind, somebody would blow that trumpet. And, dude, that was the signal for the people of God to assemble and one day, an angel, maybe Michael, will blow that trumpet and it will be heard around the world. And that will be the signal that everybody who is a follower of Jesus is about to be gathered up. And this is how it will work. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that may seem a little contradictory on the surface. You know, my, my Uncle Billy died 13 years ago. And let's say that the Lord returns 10 years from now. What in the world has been going on during those 23 years for my Uncle Billy? And how is he going to come from heaven with Jesus when his body is buried in Monk's Corner, South Carolina? I mean, has his body been sleeping in the grave and his spirit's been flying off all over heaven? I don't think so. Now, I don't know every detail for sure, but this is what I think. I think everything that you know about in creation, let's imagine everything is in this circle, okay? Everything that you know about is in this circle. You know, Albert Einstein postulated 
that the universe was like an expanding balloon and everything that you are aware of in this world is, is in that balloon and it's expanding. And he didn't say, you know, just the galaxies and the constellations were expanding. The empty space that separates those things is also expanding and has been expanding since the very beginning, which is why scientists, you know, have hypothesized that there was a big bang in the very beginning, which actually sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, out of nothing, there was this explosion of light. But the question is, what is on the outside of the circle? Now, well, you know, scientists today would say, oh, no, 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 there is no outside. This is infinite. It just goes on and on and on and on. And Einstein refuted that. He said, that is not so. That is impossible. It is enormous. The, the universe is enormous, but it is certainly finite, and there is an expanding edge to it. And so people are like, well, what's beyond that edge? And he's like, I don't know. God, I guess. And I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I believe that the creation is a project of God. He made it. He is vaster than the creation is. Uh, and let me tell you, inside this circle are all of the known dimensions of existence. Height, depth, length, width, time. Time is a created thing. Amen? There's no time in eternity. The Bible says there's no waiting there. There is no time outside of this circle in eternity. No time. And Paul says, you know, when people die, we are immediately present and alert and aware in the presence of God outside the space-time continuum of his creation. I mean, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's going to be a joy for all of us, but not for everybody. So, so think about what that suggests. There is no time out in eternity, outside of creation. Time is part of the creation. It is irrelevant to eternity. So as these 23 years poked by, while my Uncle Billy's death, from, from my Uncle Billy's death until the return of the Lord Jesus, from my perspective, inside the creation, tick-tock, 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 boy, this has been a long time. But that is not Uncle Billy's experience. That is not what he experiences at all because he's not in time anymore. He has left the space-time creation and now he's in eternity with God, all right? So the moment he dies, man, he is alive and awake and aware in eternity, you know, and 13 years ago from my perspective, when he died, he received a glorified body from the Lord Jesus. And man, Paul actually writes his friends in Corinth and says, I got to tell you a mystery. Man, we will not all sleep. There's that euphemism again. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Bam. When? At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And then we will be changed. For this perishable body we must put on the imperishable. This mortal body we must put on immortality. Man, I grew up in a church and we used to sing these old songs when I was a kid. And the choir would sing... The ladies who do this course say, we'll have new bodies. And all the men would say, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, <that's> right. <laughs> but listen, that's what Paul's saying, man. I mean, think about it. People who are disabled on earth in this zone will be completely healthy here. People who struggle with mental illness in this zone, completely healed here. You know, people who struggle with chronic illnesses here will be healthy and strong 
there. And, and we'll be transformed, Paul says. Wholeness, health, strength, joy, uh, incredible capacity. I mean, think about all the stuff Jesus could pull off after he rose from the dead. We'll all be like that. The moment death takes us out of this space-time continuum, from our perspective, my Uncle Bill's been in the grave for, you know, 13 years and now 10 years to the Lord comes back 23 years. But from his perspective, time is compressed. It's compressed to nothing because he's not in time anymore. Time is a coffee table ornament that God invented way back at the creation. And from his experience, time is compressed. And so in eternity, he experiences everything that is in the future of people who are still inside this circle. The moment he dies, he experiences death, resurrection, rapture that Paul's talking about here, the ultimate return of the Lord Jesus, the end of the world, the judgment of the living and the dead, sees it all the way God does because he's out of time. Now, what that looks like from his perspective is amazing. No disembodied spirits floating around in the ether, resurrected bodies, just like Jesus had after he rose, that's what you inherit the moment you die and you leave the creation and you roll into eternity. So the next time any believer sees Jesus, he says in verse 17, after that we who are still alive and are left, still alive and are left in here, are going to be caught up together. That's where the word rapture comes from. Caught up together with them in the clouds and we will meet the Lord in the air. You know, when a hurricane strikes, it can create a vortex that can literally lift, lift people and animals and cars and houses, you know, lift them up into the air for hundreds of feet. Due to the second coming of Jesus, there will be a supernatural power that will lift us up, not hundreds of feet, but lift us out of creation and into eternity with him forever. Look at what the text says next. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Cool for us. Amen. Cool for us, bro. But what about the folks who are not followers of Jesus? What about these folks who get left behind? Because they will be left behind. Well, some believers think that when Jesus returns, that's the end of the world. Out of the pool, game over. That's it for everybody. Done. Off to heaven with you. Off to hell with you. Everybody's assigned to judgment. One, that, that's one view. Other believers believe that all of the followers of Jesus will be taken out of the world when Jesus returns uh, and raptures the church. And then the non-Christians will obviously know that. They will know that. And for a period of time, all the unbelievers in the world will be left behind to continue to function with no Christians present at all. And dude, at first, I bet some of them will say, whoo, good riddance. Glad to be done with them. Glad they're gone. We don't have to deal with their restrictive ideas anymore. We don't have to, we can pass any laws we want to with no regard for any sense of right and wrong, uh, any sense of biblical theology. Forget those guys. Glad they're gone for about that long. Then others, like some of you who are sitting here today, who've been here week after week after week, heard, heard the gospel and just dismissed it, never made any commitment to Jesus at all, when the rapture occurs and all the Christians you know are gone, dude, when you hear these amazing auditory events on every platform on the planet and suddenly billions of people disappear, dude, your husband and kids are gone. Because you heard messages like this or, or, or other messages like this, when you're going to be informed and you're going to think, my word, Cam told us this was going to happen. But at the same moment, I bet immediately 
It will almost be comical to watch the intelligentsia of the world try to explain away the disappearance of a third of the people on the planet. You know what? Some of them are going to say, aliens got them, man. <laughs> Alien abduction. I've been telling y'all, not just Roswell, got a, got a third of the world. And in that vacuum, you know, that vacuum of righteous people, I mean, all of them gone, evil leaders will arise which will set the stage for an antichrist type leader, a hyper-manipulative leader to rise to power and dominate world politics and spin this disappearance of all the believers in a way that creates terror and manipulates the masses because he looks like the only person who can fix it. And it will be chaos. And if you don't believe that, just look at any country on the planet today that has not been profoundly impacted by the gospel and look at the value of human life in those countries. Pick one. Just, just pick one where the gospel has not had an enduring effect. It'll be a bifurcated society where there's a little group of like folks up here that think we're the ones that count and nobody else does and whatever we do with them is okay with us. It's evil. It's cruel. It's awful. It's what happens when you take righteousness out of any culture. But I'll tell you, man, the darker it will get, the more people will long for the gospel. They will long for a solution. They will long for the truth. And they will long for the love of God. And many, many people, you know, the people sit in churches just like this who are just like, whatever. Dude, they be trying to, where's that pastor's Bible? That thing's marked up, man. I'll, I'll get his Bible. And I'm going to start reading. And let me tell you, many people in those days will come to Jesus and they will pay a super high price for it. Now, we don't know exactly how all this is going to happen. You know, I kind of like one theologian that said, I don't know the details uh, I'm on the welcoming committee, not the program committee. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I kind of like what one professor at Abilene Christian University said. Everything that the New Testament, including the book of Revelation, says about the end times can be boiled down to three sentences. Number one, everybody has to pick a team. Number two, Jesus' team wins. We know that because we've read the end of the story. Amen? Amen. Number three, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Friends, history on this planet is moving toward the end of the end game as we sit here today. And when Jesus returns for us with those who have died in Christ, that's going to be the end game. And if that's true, and billions of believers have believed this for thousands of years, then Paul gives us two really strong words of advice in the rest of this passage. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, be ready. Everybody say it. Be ready. Look what Paul says in verses 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters about the times and dates, we do not even need to write you about that because you know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, friends, Paul is saying that nobody, everybody say nobody, nobody, nobody will be able to predict when the Lord is coming back. And if you send a bunch of money to get somebody's book who's going to tell you when the Lord is coming back, you buy that joke or a house in the Bahamas, he don't know a thing, all right? But he's, he's, he, Paul says nobody is going to be able to predict when the Lord is coming back. Now, believers in every generation have thought, he's coming in my generation. Part of that is because of narcissism. Part of that is because he could come in any generation. And, and, and the, the signs are there. And, man, we need, to, we need to be ready, Paul says. Paul says he didn't know when the Lord was going to return. He said the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Now, you know the thing about thieves, they never text you and say, I'm going to break into your truck tonight and steal your favorite watch. <laughs> if 
it sounds like I'm still bitter, it's because I am, all right? <laughs> they got me, man. They got me, bro. Paul's point is, Jesus is going to return, and you won't, be, you, won't, you won't expect it when it happens. Look at verse 3. While people, you know, who dismiss Jesus are saying, don't worry about it. Dude, enjoy this peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So the point is, you know the best time to get ready? Yesterday. Next best time to get ready? Right now. Man, if you get ready now, you're good to go no matter when he comes. I mean, look at verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness. So this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light. You're children of the day. You don't live in the darkness. You live in the light, man. I heard about a uh, game warden who <clears throat> was trying to catch this poacher. The poacher's name was Quill. He lived out in a cabin back in the woods somewhere. He was a notorious poacher. This game warden couldn't stand it, but he couldn't catch the guy. And so he just decided, I'm going to get this guy sure enough. And so he went out late one night and camped out on a little bluff over that guy's cabin, freezing cold, no fire because he didn't want to be found out. He said, I'm going to camp out here. And when he comes out of the house in the morning, I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to bag him. I'm going to make it happen. I mean, cold. But he just wanted to see when this guy left. Next morning, man, he woke up, you know. And you know when you're camping out, you wake up when the sun comes up, right? And all of a sudden, he could hear a quill moving around in the cabin and smell that coffee brewing and <laughs> smell that bacon frying and smell them, you know, biscuits in the oven. And, man, he got hungry. And then Quill came out on the front porch and said, you might as well come on down and join me for breakfast before you freeze to death. I know you're out there. And so the game warden couldn't believe it, man. He walked down, went into the cabin and said, Quill, how did you know I was out there? He said, I didn't. I yelled out every morning just in case you are out there. <laughs> now, you know, that's alert. You know what I'm saying? That's prepared, bro. And, 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 you know, we ought to be that way every single day. This could be the day. And I'm ready. If this is the day, if he arrives or I go, I'm ready. John Seitz, pastor friend of mine in Cedar Falls, Iowa, 52 years old. Dropped out of a heart class last week. Scott Aiken, 53-year-old football coach in Hinesville, helped us launch the Midway Campus, helped us build a middle school ministry there, suddenly died last week. Greg Stevenson. 63 years old, extraordinary volunteer right here at the Henderson campus, led our usher team, asked my wife a hundred times, can I help you carry something, carry something in, Miss Sarah? I mean, what a guy. Suddenly died last week. All these men were with us two weeks ago, sitting right here. Now they're with the Lord. So Paul would say, remember, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us awake, be awake and sober. Man, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, dude, let's be self-controlled. I mean, life is crazy. It is tempting. It is chaotic. We all know that. Some people turn to the Lord for peace and strength. Others turn to alcohol and drugs thinking they can find peace or escape if they just drown their pain or numb their anxiety by drinking and drugging. Never works. But if you're not going to give yourself to the Lord, I guess it's as good as anything else, right? Paul says, friends, we're believers. We're going to see the Lord soon. Why would you walk in darkness? Resist that temptation. Even if your family and your friends pressure you to do it. Even if your idiot doctor writes you the prescription. You walk in the light. Keep your edge. Be alert. Be ready. 
don't fall for it. Final word from Paul, be encouraged. Say it with me, everybody. Be encouraged. Twice in this section, we are told to encourage each other because Jesus is coming back. Now, you know, the book of Revelation says that when Jesus returns, many of the most rich and powerful people on the earth will cry out for the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the imminent judgment of the Lord. But for followers of Jesus, we're looking forward to it. Amen? I mean, we're encouraged, right? I mean, for a number of reasons. Number one, we are saved. I mean, look at verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and put the hope of salvation on, our, on like a helmet to protect our thinking, our mind, our attitude. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Dude, if you're in Christ, you're not going to be judged. Jesus took that judgment on the cross. We're going to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear amen? amen? Dude, listen, you put your trust in Jesus and confess him as your Lord and ask him to forgive your sins and then you're baptized into him. Dude, if you are serious, you should know that your sins have been forgiven and you have been adopted in the family of God and when he returns, it will be a day of salvation for you. Dude, you should look forward to that. I mean, imagine you were unfairly on trial for murder and the jury starts filing back in and you know when that verdict comes down, your life is hanging in the balance. And then your lawyer leans over to you and whispers, hey, man, great news. I got some info, inside information. Not guilty. And you go, wow. And then you can't wait to hear that verdict. Not guilty. Free. Saved from that life of punishment. And, friend, that's what happened when you gave your life to Jesus. And though your sins were as scarlet, he washed you white as snow. You should be encouraged by that. Another reason we should be encouraged is we're going to be vindicated. Vindicated by the truth. Look, you know, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. I mean, heaven and on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I was talking with my D group. I meet with a group of guys every Wednesday morning at dark 30. And we were talking this morning about how discouraging it can be to watch the spiritual foundations, you know, that our country was built on being dismantled and replaced by values that uh, they hurt everybody. They're going to hurt everybody. And, of course, you say something about it. No, oh, you hard, unloving, you know, ridicule, rejection. There might be ridicule now. <laughs> but I'm telling you, a day's coming when that's going to change. Friends, we know that because of Jesus, we're on the winning team. And we want everybody to be on that team. Because one day, President Trump will bow. Kim Jong-un will bow. President Putin will bow. Bill Maher, Katy Perry, Kanye West will bow. I will bow. You will bow. And acknowledge Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm looking forward to it. It's encouraging to me because I'm looking forward to it. We should be encouraged. We should also be encouraged because when Jesus returns, there are going to be great reunions, right? Great reunions. Verse 10 says, he died for us. Everybody say us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, there's that euphemism for living or dead, we, everybody say we, we. will live together with him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. Don't, man, don't you love to go to the airport and, and see people greet each other, especially when they haven't seen each other for a long time? Man, I love to see these soldiers come up that concourse and they come around the corner and there's their kids and their wife, you know, or their husband and their parents just waiting on them and tears in their eyes and they run together, grab each other, big hug, big kiss, kids got daddy around the leg, not letting go. Friends, imagine what it would be like at the second coming of Jesus when he returns and my dad is with him, along with all the other believers who have died. Do you remember when Jesus raised a little girl, Jairus' daughter, in Mark chapter 5. And Jairus asked him if he'd come raise his daughter. And he said, of course. And he got there too late. And all the, all the knotheads were out in the yard going, too late. You blew it. She's already dead. And Jesus said, not too late, bro. She's just asleep. Again, this Hebrew, Hebrew euphemism. And you know all the realists, you know what they did? They mocked. They laughed. Ah, these religious nuts. And so he dismissed the doubters. I mean, everybody but Peter, James, and John... And he went in that room with that little girl and he took that little girl's dead hand and he said in Aramaic, Talitha kum. <laughs> Baby girl, get up. <laughs> and she did. And the next thing Jesus said was, give her to her mom. Can you imagine what that reunion was like when you have that little daughter who died and is now back alive and presented to her grieving mom? That is on the horizon for us, for all of us, for all of us who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord and we hear his loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and we see Jesus and my two little babies in heaven will be given back to me. Husbands giving back to widows, dads giving back to daughters, friends giving back to the lonely. <laughs> be informed. <clears throat> be ready. Be encouraged, man. Now, you know there's a difference between being ignorant and being foolish. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know, there's an ignorance that's totally understandable because you just didn't know. You, you're just uninformed. But man, if you have been informed, you would be foolish not to act on the facts that you have. And Paul has taught us a lot of facts about Jesus. One day soon, either Jesus is going to return or you're going to die and see him face to face. That would be the first stop. It would be really foolish to know that and never do anything about it. Never respond at all. And so maybe today is the day that you're going to start preparing for the end game by getting yourself right with God. This would be a good day. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we've had. You know, just walk through this passage of scripture and let you tell us what you want us to know. You haven't forgotten us. What's happening in our world today doesn't bother you. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't stop you. It doesn't it doesn't derail your plans. You, you, have a, you have a plan for this world and we are proceeding toward it. And there is a day coming for all of us. Maybe it'll be like for my friend John and my buddy Greg and my pal Scott. And our heart will stop and there will be resurrected bodies in eternity with Jesus.
hearing those words we've been waiting to hear. That day's coming. Or maybe we'll survive long enough to see how you will, how everybody on a round planet this size will hear that trumpet at the same time. And how everybody will see you at the same time. Maybe it'll be the news. Who, who knows? But that day is coming off in the future and, and we're moving that way. And I just pray, God, that there will be those here today who will go, I didn't realize it. Or I did. But I never thought I had to do something about it today. And so I pray, God, that there will be those who will do it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.